Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And here in verse 1, remember what's happening is that Moses, he's giving this discourse to the next generation of Israel. He says here in verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, translate says, some indecency or shame in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, I have to say, before we continue, I have to say, there are certain parts of the Old Testament, New Testament too, certain parts of in the entirety of Scripture, which really, they just go against the grain in my heart. They rub me the wrong way. It, I just, it just understand as new covenant believers, we study the Bible as new covenant believers. We are always abiding in the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus Christ was asked about divorce from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders, he didn't point to, you know, he was, you know, asked about Moses, about divorce as written by Moses. And Jesus Christ didn't refer to Moses in terms of what to follow. He, he, he mentioned Moses and he also said that it was, it was added because of the hardness of hearts. You see, the hardness of hearts. Now we, we know as new covenant believers that a hard heart means uncircumcision, not according to the flesh. A hard heart is uncircumcision according to the spirit. Unbelief. But a soft heart that is circumcision according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. In Christ, it's the only way a female can be circumcised. A beautiful, beautiful, my beautiful sisters in Christ. Circumcision. Yes, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are circumcised. Now, a lot of, a lot of Christians don't even think this way, but it is true. I mean, if you go to, if you're female, you go to another, uh, 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 another Christian and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm circumcised. They'll be like, well, you're crazy. But according to the Spirit, you are. If, if, if you're, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're obedient to Jesus Christ, you obey, it's, it's beautiful. Now, when the, the religious leaders asked Jesus, Jesus didn't refer to Moses, well, he did in terms of, you know, disobedient, in terms of the, the hard hearts. But he points to even before the law of Moses, he points to, you know, it, or he's, it was not so in the beginning, he said. It was not so in the beginning. What do we see in the beginning? Adam and Eve. How many wives did Adam have? You see? Boom, point blank. How many wives did Adam have? A lot of times you get these mockers of the last days in fulfillment of prophecies, of the mockers of the last days. But they say, oh, you Christians, you're so crazy. You believe the Bible. You believe that we should have multiple wives. You believe in polygamy, all this. Number one, I'm not Mormon. You know, you, you that's under the dictates of Mormonism and others. But I'm not Mormon. If you're Mormon, I love you. God loves you. But you need to believe in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, not the one according to Mormonism. He's not the half brother of Satan. And I say this to you. Come out of her, my people, my beautiful Mormon friend. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you come to the real Jesus. Not one of the fake that the real Jesus says would be a sign of his coming. Now, the mockers, they say, Oh, you Christians, you believe in multiple wives because look, the Bible says this, Deuteronomy says this, you believe in concubines and all this. No, I believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. And what he, what did he say? 
It was not so from the beginning. It was not so from the beginning. You see, how many wives did Adam have? Boom, point blank. End of discussion. Now, when you're talking to the mockers, you know, boom, point blank, end of discussion. Now, let me ask you a question. What's up with you and Jesus Christ? Because the very thing that you refer to, you refer to Deuteronomy, you refer to Numbers, the very, very thing that you refer to is the very, very thing that Jesus Christ refers to in terms of hardness of heart. You either need to go before that to Adam and Eve and and, 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 and even Noah. How many wives did Noah have? You see? One. Adam, one. The law was added because of sin. Now, when you talk to a mocker, be careful because sometimes they're mockers because they're Luciferian, Satanists. But among them, sometimes you'll be talking to people that maybe had an experience with Christianity and they hate it. You ask them, why is it that you hate Christianity? And I've had these conversations, long in-depth conversations. Why is it that you're so, you have so much hate for Jesus? And then they'll reveal to you, well, it's because of this hypocrisy. It's because of this teaching over here. It's because of this over here. And it's because of this hypocrisy I saw over here. And I have no beef with that. If you're, you know, if you're an atheist and you're listening, God loves you. You have beef with, with Christians. You have beef with church because of X, Y, Z and one, two, three, hypocrisy here, hypocrisy there. Hey, I have no beef with that. But don't, don't blame it on Jesus Christ. I agree. There is hypocrisy in the church. I agree. Pastors are defunct. I agree. Pastors are, are, are hypocrites. I agree. Don't take that out on Jesus. Don't take it out on him. He loves you. You say, well, you know, the, the Bible says this. No, in accordance to what? Reformed theory? The Bible says X, Y, Z. According to what? The grave soakers? What does the real word of God say? The real Jesus Christ, where his word is above his name. Everything in accordance to the word of God. Every jot, every tittle. You're a non-believer. You're an atheist. God loves you. You need not mock anymore. These days are wicked. These days are evil. God loves you. And I like to say, get in the ark while the door is open. Because the church age, church age is coming to a close. And so you're going to encounter. Now I speak to Christians now. Now, now to the non-believers, the Mormons, and you know, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. Now to the believers, you're going to come across when you, when you engage culture, you're going to come across these situations where people ask, you know, well, you Christians believe in this, you Christians believe in that. No. It's what the Bible says, but you have to understand the entirety of the Bible. Jesus Christ points to Adam. He's he's not like multiple wives and concubines and all these things. You don't see that with Adam. You don't see that with Noah. You see? And as the heart of men in the early days, the, the, the early days of Genesis, as the heart of men became wicked, they were judged. Remember the flood? They were judged. It's not without judgment. They didn't get away with it. And the same is today. 
people won't get away with it. You see, you know, oh, I, if God is so good, then why is there this? If, the God, if God is so good, why is there war? If God is so good, why is there rape and murder? No, there's, there's these things in the world as a result of man, not as a result of God. Oh, but God predestines things, predestines things to happen. God preordains things to happen. Now, in accordance to who? The Reformed theory, the Calvinists, they're wrong. They're in crazy town. Now, if you're Reformed, Calvinists, I love you. But come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. And the Reformers, the Calvinists are starting to teach, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Listen to our message. It's called, do not take the mark of the beast. We're living in perilous times. Crazy times. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But what is so beautiful is you see this chaos in the world today. In this chaos, yes, it's ugly. But what is so beautiful is that you see people who love the truth of the word of God. And you see safety in their hearts. You see safety in their homes. You also see, you know, the, 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 uh, 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 opposition coming against them. You see it. But then you see a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's beautiful to witness. And so we see here about, you know, the, uh, 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 the, 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 uh, the husband has found some uncleanness. Now, it could be legitimate. It could be like, yes, there is some uncleanness in her. But this is what Moses is saying. Moses is saying this to that next generation. Now, what happens? How the next generation runs with it? You're going to see good, bad, and ugly. We're going to see it in, in our continuation through the Old Testament studies. And you see it in the New Testament too. But this is what Moses is saying. I love this so much because, you know, we study the Bible. We read the Bible independently, corporately. We study these things. And anytime we do these things and we study, understand that when you're done, when you're done studying, when we're done with our, our, our time of Bible study, when we're done, okay, balls in our court. This is what the Bible says. Okay, balls in my court. Okay, this is what the Bible says. Okay, balls in your court. At that moment, you and me together, we have a choice. Do we obey or do we disobey? You see, balls in our court. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience and he responds to disobedience. The same way a parent with their child, the exact same way. Baby girl does something beautiful in obedience to a parent. Okay, baby girl, here's a cupcake. Good job. Baby girl does something bad. Okay, baby girl, tap, tap. You see? That's it. How much more with our Father in heaven? And so certain passages like this, they just, they go against the grain of my heart. No disrespect to the Lord. Remember, this is the law, the Torah, and it is, there is glory in the law, but our study in Romans, it's in accordance with our, our study in, in Galatians. But remember in our study in Romans, that in the law is the knowledge of sin and in the law is death. You say, how can there be glory in, in, in death? How can there be glory in death? Well, what does it lead to? What does it lead to? It leads to Jesus. You see? But ears are required. 
There must be ears to hear and understand these things. And so we continue in our study that the husband has found an uncleanness in his wife. And he says, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. In verse, in the very beginning of verse one, it says, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes. Now, remember, this is what Moses is saying. Now, for the next generation, for the, 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 the young people listening to this, I mean, Moses' discord. Remember, Moses is an old man. He's an old man at this time. He's about ready to die. He's a very, very old man. So he's saying this. Now, once he says it, now the ball's in their court to carry this on to the, to the promised land, to carry this on for future generations. Whether they do so or not, ball's in their court. You see? And we're going to have this understanding in, in our future studies. We're going to have this understanding. We're going to see like very ugly scenarios. And then we're going to refer back. Do you remember when old man Moses, beautiful, beautiful old man Moses told them this? And here they are. It might be the either great grandkids or, you know, great, great grandkids. But there's disobedience. Yes, it's bad for that generation, but what about the prior generation that didn't tell them? You see? And so we continue. You're going to see the abuse, abuse of these very things. You know, it ha- like in the very beginning of verse 1, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes. Now, the abuse, it could be that, yes, the wife was unclean. There was indecency. There was some type of shame in her. It could be. But the majority of cases, the guy just got tired of her. And then, you know, certificate goes to the rabbi. Hey, rabbi, I want to divorce my wife. She didn't. Well, the rabbi, you know, oh, what's the reason? Well, you know, she doesn't make scrambled eggs any good anymore. She used to make them really good, but she doesn't make scrambled eggs anymore. So I want to give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, here's your certificate. Goes to the wife. Here, here's your certificate. You see, it's is that uncleanness because she's not she's not up to snuff, so to speak. She doesn't she doesn't cook like you know this chef over here. She doesn't cook like this chef over there. And this happens. And you know, I, I, not the you know scrambled eggs, not that part. But you see this these frivolous reasonings. We're going to study these. And so then, there's a lot of room for abuse. There's a lot of room for corruption. But the same thing. I mean, look at our world today. Look at you. Take one basic law, and look at how in the powers that be, there's corruption. People. You know, they, they use laws to, they, they, they take advantage of laws. They take advantage. Look at the corruption, like, like in, 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 um, rental laws. You know, you have the land, you know, laws pertaining to landlords, land, laws pertaining to the, the lessee, the renters. And, you know, look at the abuse that happens. Certain laws that pertain to uh, 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 certain government benefits, government uh, 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 like welfare benefits. Look at the abuse that happens. You see, it, you don't need me to explain and, and, and go into detail about the corruption and the abuse because it's there. But when it comes to the law of Moses, the carnal nature, it's almost like in the carnal nature, it's 
we're, we're uh, we we have this predisposition. But when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you fear the Lord, you love the Lord. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know what? This is what the law is, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come against the law because it's not just the law of Moses. It's the law that the Lord said, Moses, tell the people this, tell the people that, tell the people this, tell the people that. And so, okay. The, the priesthood, the, the Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim, the, uh, uh, all these beautiful things, sacrifices and offering. I'm not doing it out of compulsion. I'm doing it because I want my heart to be right with the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating the laws. I'm just, you know, speaking like, for example, like if we were to go back in time, this is why we do these things. Not advocating the law. I'm just saying if we were in these days, in these days of Moses, then that would be the mindset of those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And in the fear of the Lord, we would learn to trust the Lord and fall deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And remember that the law is has glory, but it points and leads to the greater glory, the ultimate glory, the Son of God, the fulfillment of the law. It's so, you know, sometimes I'm at a loss of words. Just the very thought of how good the Lord is to us. Just the very thought of how good he is to us. And he presents us with the choice. He doesn't say like, okay, this is what I mandate and boom, you're going to do it. Boom, you're a robot. So therefore you have to do it. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theory. But the word of God says, you know, the things that we study and then boom, balls in our court. Now, balls in our court. Now, he responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. I love that. Not the, 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 the freedom to choose. Yes, it's beautiful. But for, for among those who choose righteously and choose righteousness, you, you see it all throughout the Bible. You look at Hannah, Samuel, Amos, you know, uh, 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 Paul, Epaphroditus. Remember, we just studied him a couple weeks ago. Epaphroditus, Lydia, Chloe. You see where it's like, yes, there's the camp of Israel. Yes, there's the camp of the church, New Covenant and Old Covenant. But in these camps, it's like, there's something different about this lady. There's something different about this gal. There's something different about this guy. There's something different about this boy, like little Samuel. You see? And then in those people, in those vessels, that's where you see, wow, the Lord is doing something wild. And no disrespect to the Lord by saying wild, but I mean wild, like, whoa, this is like, it's like, like look at what he's doing through this vessel, male or female. And so we see this scenario about the certificate of divorce. He puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. It's almost like a I'm done with you mentality. Well, I'm done with you. I don't like the way you make scrambled eggs. I don't like the way you cook. I don't like the way you clean. I don't like the way you perform. So I'm done with you. And, you know, you're unclean because you don't satisfy me here. You don't satisfy me there. So I'm done. Or what would happen in accordance to, you know, what these provisions in the law, which was added because of hard hearts. Remember our study through Galatians. 
what would happen is that, you know, men, okay, well, you know, I, I, I'm tired of this one, so I'm going to get another one. I'm going to get wife number two. And I'm tired of her, so I'm going to get wife number three. And I'm tired of her, so, you know, and I don't want to fulfill the, the obligations of the, the, the husband, uh, husband obligations to the wife. And I don't want to fulfill that. So, okay, I'm done with wives now. Now I'm going to have concubine number one, concubine number two. And so we have this understanding. It's like, oh my goodness. Look at all this. Look, they get away with murder. Don't forget, it's, it doesn't come. It's, it's not without a huge cost. These are things that we're going to study when we get into Solomon. It's not without a huge cost. Yes to them. Yes to their homes and their households. But also for the entirety of Israel. Remember, Solomon with his concubines. You know, in the very early days of Solomon, how he would honor the Lord. But in the course of time, multiple wives, multiple concubines, and all of a sudden would honor the gods of those concubines and say, okay, now we're going to build a, a temple over here for your God, a temple over there for your God. And in so doing, Israel became defiled. You see, it's not, don't think like, okay, well, you know, this is what the law says, go ahead and do it, and you know, you're good to go. This is what the law says, and you can do this, you can do that, and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and everything's fine and dandy. No, it's not fine and dandy. Remember, the law was added because of sin, because of trespass. And because of sin and trespass, now in the law, there's rules on how to be right with God again. You see, and even when that happens, remember, the, the, we reap what we sow. Now, even when certain, like, like in the case of Solomon and his concubines, you, you see like, okay, there's a, a temple for this God, a temple for that God, a temple for this God, a temple for that God. Israel became defiled through those things. And God's judgment came to Israel as a result. You see? And so who does God call? Does he go to the priest? Does he go to the Kohanim? Does he go to the Levites? He looks for those little vessels. Who is it? Here's Hannah who's barren. You know, and I'm going to open her womb. You see how the Lord works? And Samuel. This is how I'm going to use Samuel. This is how I'm going to use Amos. It's powerful. Old Testament and New Testament. And so this certificate of divorce is, is given. He sends her out of his house. Verse 2, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. So now this, this lady now has husband number two. If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce. So it's almost like the same thing. It's almost like, you know, she's in the similar scenario. Well, you know, husband didn't, first husband didn't like me and, you know, I got married again and second husband doesn't like me. I got a certificate of divorce. Now, it could be that there was uncleanness in her. It could be. It could be that the man was like, you know, uh, you know, everything was on point and it could be that the woman was unclean and defiled. It could be. But the vast majority of times, it was the men. It was the men who themselves 
were defiled. Why? Because they would pinpoint, well, you know, I don't like the scrambled eggs. I don't like this. I don't like that. So I'm done with you. The vast majority of times. So here you have this scenario. Husband number two, if the latter husband detests her and writes a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. So similar concept where, you know, I'm done with you. Similar concept. Or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife. So now it's another scenario. Then the former husband, so the first husband who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination. It's an, a detestable thing before the Lord. Now, we read this and it's like, whoa, this is terrible. I thought you said the law was... You know, good in a sense that, you know, that we, we learn to trust the Lord. We learn to fear the Lord. I'm not advocating the law when I say we. I'm just meaning if we were in our time machine and we go back to these days. But, you know, I thought you said the law was good. And we read this and it's like it sounds kind of. It sounds kind of bad. It sounds kind of, you know, that you get married, divorce, and then husband number two, and, you know, and in our prior studies, when you have, you know, wife number two, and then we see how the, the, the application of certain things, the introduction of concubines, and it's like, wait a second, it sounds kind of bad. Remember the disciples of Jesus, they even, when Jesus would explain this, they posed the question, it, it kind of sounds like it's better not to marry. And that's when Jesus says, look at it, it's, not everybody can accept this. It's not for everybody. But to whom has been given. But then we read this and it's like, wow, you know what? How does it, how can this be good? You know when it's the best? When you have one wife and one husband. <laughs> That's when it's the best. Because we read these things, we see the abuse and it's like, man, you know, why is there, why are these things permitted? Remember, they're permitted. The law was added because of sin. And so it's like we, we read this. It's like, okay, I mean, I don't want to like, imagine the drama. You know, I don't like drama, but imagine the drama. You know, husband number two, wife number two, husband number three, wife number three. You know, and then you introduce concubines. Imagine all the drama. And so we read this, it's like, wow, it sounds like, it sounds terrible. But you know when it's most beautiful? <laughs> when there's just one. <laughs> just like with Noah, just one. When, is it, when there's just one, just like there was with Adam. When there's just one. But because of the hardness of hearts, these things were added. You see? Because of sin. Keep it simple. Just one. No drama. No drama. I mean, there's going to be drama in, in, you know, in marriage. I mean, if you're married, you, there's going to be drama. But the more you, you grow in Christ, the more you mature in Christ, there's going to be less drama. And then when you mature even more, there's going to be no drama. I have arguments with my wife. When we were first married, our arguments would last weeks. Maybe not weeks, a couple days. Hey, you know, three, four days, you know, depending on the severity. Now they let like 10 seconds, five seconds. Not even. They just, it's, we have this understanding. It's just, it's, it's no big deal. It's, it's no matter of life and death. 
And so we read these things, it's like, look, it, it's, it's much easier, it's much better, far better to just keep it simple. Don't complicate things with wife number two. Don't complicate things with wife number three and concubine number one, two, three, four uh, females. Don't complicate things with husband number two, husband number three. Keep it simple. One. That's it. One. Just like Noah. You see? Just like Adam. And so we see here. This for that is an abomination before the Lord in verse four, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You see, as an inheritance. Now, something I have to say to divorcees: if you're a divorcee, you know, sometimes we have these conversations, and divorcees feel like you know, like what man, you know, like am I some kind of schlep? Because you know, yes, I'm divorced. In this, listen, you repent. You repent. And, you know, it doesn't mean like, you know, I've had conversations with men in, you know, in men's study environments, men's study groups. And men are like, well, you know, if we apply the things that the Bible says and the things that you teach and how you, if you apply, you know what? Our, the first marriage would have been fine. The first marriage should have been fine. And now I'm in my second marriage. Does that mean that I should go back to the first? You know, no, no. You know, where, whenever you find yourself in the wrong, be it with anything, whenever you find yourself in the wrong, repent. It keeps our hearts nice and soft before the Lord. Jello before the Lord. Not maple, not pine, not oak, not a rock. Nice, beautiful, soft jello. Whenever you find yourself in the wrong with the Lord, be it whatever, you know, little things and big ticket things. But whenever you find yourself in the wrong, repent. I've had conversations with divorcees, male and female. And they kind of feel like, wow, you know, I know that the Bible says this and I never heard it how you taught it. You know, this other guy told me this and this other person told me this and this other person told me this, but I never understood it like you teach it. Does that mean I'm in the wrong? Well, you know, have you repented? Yes, I repented. Okay, then let's let's learn from this. Let's grow from this. It's not to say like, okay, you can get a divorce and then all of a sudden get married again with whoever. No, once you're divorced, you know, anybody who, you know, when a marriage is over through death, like uh, then you're free to marry again, but then marry in Christ, marry a Christian. But if there's no death, that's adultery. And anybody who, especially with the consummation of marriage number two, when there's no death of the prior spouse, that's called adultery. Not just for the, for the uh, divorcee, but for the person who, you know, is in, in the marriage number two with the divorcee. That's called, that's, that's a, a, adultery. We have to understand what the Bible says. You know, you look at the divorce rate in the world, which is high. You look at the divorce rate in the church, it's exactly the same. It's terrible. It's not to say, well, we have irreconcilable difference. I have a million irreconcilable differences with my spouse. A million. A million and 32. But that's not grounds for anything stupid. Biblically speaking. You see? One. Just keep it simple. One. 
Not, you know, wife number one, you don't like her, get divorced. Wife number two, you don't like her, get divorced. Wife, wife number three, and you know, you're getting old, so you'll just settle with her. No, you see that in the church. You see that among pastors. Such people who are in the pulpits, biblically unqualified. They disqualify themselves. And yet people listen to them. See how the disobedience spreads? So when we study these, these things in the law, these things that they just go against the grain of my heart. But understand that, yes, it's the lesser glory points to Jesus Christ. But we see a lot of similarities in the church today. You see, it's the corruption, the abuse, the corruption. But when we keep it simple, just one. I mean, you want to keep it really simple? Zero. <laughs> You want to keep it really simple. Remember the disciples, you know, they were kind of dumbfounded. Like, wow, you know, I'm listening to Jesus Jesus speak and it kind of sounds better not to get married. You know, Lord, are, are you saying that it's good not to get married? And Jesus says, look, this, not everybody can accept this. Remember, when we're in our glorified bodies, it's not like we're going to have, you know, husband and wife angels. Husband and wife in glorified bodies and, you know, they consummate a marriage and then they have little baby glorified, little glorified babies. No, it's, there's no marriage. I mean, there's marriage unto the bridegroom, but that's it. It's not like, you know, little glorified bodies marrying other glorified bodies. And that's what we're moving forward to. This earthly realm in our earth suits, it's preparation for the eternal. You see, it's beautiful. But you have to have eyes. You have to have ears so that we can understand. I mean, carnally speaking, we read this. I mean, people read the Bible as literature. They're like, oh, wow, this is weird. You know, wow, you know, this, this, or take a divorce and, you know, multiple wives and this and concubines, divorce, and the lady gets husband number two, husband number three. And wow, you know, you read it as literature. It's like, it's, you're going to be confused. And God is not the author of confusion. The Bible is spiritually discerned. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. Spiritually discerned. And the Spirit teaches. And when we have this understanding, now all of a sudden it becomes clear. And so we continue. In verse 5, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall know he when a man has taken a new wife he shall know he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business i love this it's like r and r you know for the you know you have r and r or like a vacation he says he shall not he shall not go to war or be charged with any business and uh, he shall be free or like it, it translates as an exemption he shall be free at home for one year i love this so much so it's not like he's Avoiding war because he's a coward. It's not like he's avoiding work because he's a freeloader. No, he's there's this exemption to him. You know that the, the uh, to go to war. He's exempted from war. He's exempted from work. Why? For the marriage. Remember, the two become one. Look at the end of verse five, and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. You see how beautiful this is. It's like wow. You know. Remember. The husband looks at mommy and daddy and says, bye-bye. Which today, a lot of men, they, they I say men, but deep down, they're boys. You know, you got to cut that umbilical cord. 
A lot of men today, they got the, you know, the, the hairy chest, the big arms, the deep voice. And yet they're little babies, little tiny babies. Look down at their little tiny belly button and they got the umbilical cord strapped to mommy and daddy. But no, when you get married, men, which, you know, you know how I feel about that in my heart, little boys. You gotta cut the umbilical cord. Separate from mommy and daddy. We put on our big boy pants. I'm not a little boy anymore. You're not a little boy anymore. I mean, if you're a little boy, I mean, it comes at a heavy cost. You see, men, grown men who are not only treated like babies by their parents, but they almost like it. I don't know. It just, I think, me personally, I think it's gross. I think it's pretty gross. There's not many things that are more gross. That's just me. I don't say this to hurt you men whom I love. I say this so that we together can grow. I meant have a wife. A wife who is in that situation where, you know, wife has little, little baby, married to little baby. You know, it's, it's terrible. It's hard. It makes things difficult. But when there's separation, and not just separation, a time of, you know, you say bye-bye to mommy and daddy, and then a time of cleaving unto wife. A wife cleaving unto her husband, a husband cleaving unto his wife. And in the law, one year. He's not a freeloader. He's not, you know, avoiding work because he's a freeloader. He's not avoiding work because he's a freeloader. He's, you know, Marxist. He's liberal. No. He's avoiding work because it's a, a period of exemption so that he can be joined to his wife. He's not avoiding the battlefield because he's chicken. He's not avoiding the battlefield and war and the fight because he's a coward. No, he's exempted because he needs to be cleaved to his wife. And in the law, bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Now, for my beautiful sisters in Christ, we've been studying and, you know, it's difficult to imagine, like, how is it that there's Room for wife number two and wife number three and wife number four and concubine number one and concubine number two. And you, you, you picture the first wife. It's gotta be devastating to her. Devastating. It's gotta be, I mean, picture just the emotional toll. But when you keep things simple and just, just one, just one. One husband, one wife, when you keep things simple, look how beautiful it is. Not just look how beautiful it can be, look how beautiful it is. And we're gonna, we, we're, we're gonna study passages like this. In verse five, when we see, and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken, translates in the Hebrew as joy, glee, merriment, gladness, and cheer. You see? And, we're, we're, we're gonna see the abuse of these very things. Now, remember, there's glory in the law, which points to the greater glory, the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. That's, he's the fulfillment of the law. But even in the law, there's these little glimmers of like, wow, you know what? 
if I just have one wife, if I just have one husband, look how beautiful, look at the these little, little glimmers of light within the camp of Israel. And, you know, even when there's no wife, no husband, it's, you, you even see beauty in that as we, we're going to continue in, in our study through the Old Testament. And you're going to see, like, wow, look, this guy can have, like, this wife and this wife and this wife and this concubine and this concubine and this concubine, and he doesn't do it. Now you get into, like, a little bit of New Covenant teaching where Paul says when you don't have those things, you're fully free to serve the Lord. And you're going to see these things. We're going to study these things. And we're also going to make mention of these things. Remember what Moses says. Now we have this base plate of the Torah, this understanding of the Torah, which will help us in our future studies. And so we continue in verse 6. No man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge. Now, pledge is like an obligation or a promise. You know, like he says, no man sh in verse 6, no man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge for he takes one's living in the pledge or one's vitality in the pledge. So say, for example, like if, uh, if, uh, like a, a car, for example, like if, uh, if I come to you and I say, well, you know, I, I got a new job and my car broke down and I need to, I, I need, I need to get to work. Can I borrow your car? And you say, sure, you can borrow my car, but in order for you to borrow my car, I need to take your, uh, your bicycle. I need to take your, it's almost like collateral or like a, a, a pledge or like a, uh, an obligation or promise. Now, now, if, if or, or say, for example, if the car was the collateral, if, say, for example, if uh, uh, I said, can I borrow this? And you said, sure, you can borrow this, but I need your car as collateral, your car as pledge or your car as, you know, an obligatory uh, uh, aspect of this this pledge or this 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 agreement that we're making. Well, if you take my car, that, that's my ability to go to work. That's my ability to 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 to, to, to travel to work. And so. If you take that from me, then I'm not going to be able to earn wages. I'm not going to be able to put food on my table. I'm not going to be able to, you know, I just won't have the means, the financial means. And that's what is written here in verse 6. It, you know, there's, in the Bible, there are pledges. There are obligatory agreements. Now, but don't take one's living out of it. In, in verse 6, don't take the the lower or the upper millstone in pledge. Now, the millstones are important because what the millstones were, those were used to crush things like grain or like all, like if you take a, a, like a, a, a picture like two wheels, you have like a the lower millstone on the like a big wheel just laying on its side. And then you take like a, 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 a another millstone, maybe smaller, maybe closer to equal or maybe a little bit smaller. And that would be up upright. So it'd be like a, almost like an L-shaped. And it'd be like gears. And so like you would crank one with your arms and crank it and roll it. And then so the bottom one would roll and twist and, you know, or vice versa, depending on what you were crushing. People would put like olives in there so they can make their olive oil. People would put grain in there to separate the wheat and the tares, to separate the wheat and the chaff. And then they would sift it and they would be able to get grain. And with that grain, they can make offerings to the Lord. Remember the grain offering? Remember the offerings that had the, in Leviticus, our study in Leviticus, which had the, you know, the, the grain offering. There was the, uh, uh, 
uh, offering of, of oil, everything given to the Lord. But then at the same time, you'd make bread. You can make bread from the grain. You can do all these things. And so these millstones are very important for the livelihood of that, that household, for that family. So yes, take a pledge, but don't just, don't, don't take the, the you know, the, the means for, you know, the, the, the guy could eat so he could take care of his family. Don't take those things. And that's written in the law. You know, in verse six, no man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge for he takes one's living in pledge. In verse seven, if a man is found kidnapping or translates as stealing, kidnapping, any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die. That kidnapper shall die. Now, there's certain things that are abrasive to me in the law. There's certain things that I like in the law. This is one of kidnappers. I have a, I have a very soft spot for children. Molesters of children, kidnappers of children. I want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, executioner. And I want to make it hurt. But that's my flesh. I don't have to do that. You know why? The Lord does it. Molesters of children, kidnappers of children. And he will judge. And he will condemn to hell. With outside of repentance. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember this? Remember the Lord. He's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. Any. And yet, we look at the choices, not just that people make, the choices that we ourselves make. I mean, you hear me say, you know, that, you know, the Lord responds to obedience, the Lord responds to disobedience. And it's like, okay, he responds, you know, a little, do, I'm a little disobedient, little tap, tap. But that's a, that's a wrong mindset. To have a mindset that considers his life, considers her life as a living sacrifice, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And when you start thinking that way, and not just thinking, but applying your the word of God in your life with the idea, with the knowledge of knowing that your, your very essence is an aroma. And what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? It starts to make godly living easier because it's done sacrificially unto the Lord. I don't want to lie. Well, why don't you want to lie because of this? You're a little white lie. I don't want to do that. I I want a sweet aroma to the Lord. Oh, but if you lie here, look, you can get away with this. You can get, you know, you know, free tickets. You can get, you know, your your good taxes. If you lie here, if you you can get this, you get, look, it's going to give you this advantage. Where? Where is it going to provide me the advantage? Well, at Disneyland. And where is Disneyland? Is it in heaven? Is it in Zion? Is it in paradise? No. There you go. Then I don't want it. You see? I don't want to be stank before the Lord. That's the mindset. When we start thinking of our lives as a a sacrifice unto the Lord. People make excuses. We make excuses. Oh, just a little white line, no big, a little crack, no big deal. A little vodka, take the edge off. 
little pornography over there. Some strippers over here. Oh, look, my wife doesn't perform well anymore. I'm going to go to the strippers. little pornography over here. little Buddha over here. You know, I, I, I don't get this feeling anymore from the Lord, so I'm going to go to the Buddha where I get the feeling. We don't chase after emotions. We don't chase after feelings. It's not to say that, you know, we have no emotion when we approach the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. It's not to say we don't have emotion. But we don't follow emotion. When we start thinking of our lives as sacrificially unto the Lord, the aroma that we want to present to the Lord, it's a whole new ballgame. Old Testament, New Testament. All of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? I don't want five wives. I don't want ten wives and ten concubines. One is fine. One is fine. Or, you know, I want to serve the Lord, so no wife. Or, you know, I don't want, if you're female, I don't want a husband. You know, I I don't want, you know, a husband here and, you know, he's done with me. And a husband here, he's done with me. And a husband here, he's done with me. And, you know, rinse and repeat for the rest of my life. No, I'm going to be a basket case. I just want one. And, you know, to serve the Lord, I want none. You see, a, a little more difficult for the females. Because very, remember, covering always male. So very difficult for a female, you know, there was always the covering of, of the of the father, of the parent. Always the covering. Now to leave that covering, it would be now the covering of the husband. You see? For females. This is specifically for females. Men have it a little easy. Men have it a little easy. But you also see more hardness of heart among men. Old Testament and New Testament, even today, a little, a little bit more hardness of heart with men. Certain things, according to the Spirit, are easily received by females, easily received by women. It's the receptors inside of females. It's not to say that men can't get there, but a lot of dying has to happen. You see? It's also why there's warnings in the New Covenant where females can be easily deceived because these receptors can be little uh, uh, footholds in Satan and his minions that he uses, his uh, ministers of Satan, ministers of wickedness. Certain warnings to have this understanding. And so we continue. In the... In verse 7, if a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or, or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die. And you shall put away the evil from among you. Now, this kind of sounds similar to Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. You see? You say, why? wait a second. What? Why is it that, you know, the brothers of Joseph, why wasn't this law applied to them? Because they sold him into slavery. Yes. But don't forget, this law wasn't yet given. You see? This law wasn't yet given. And since this law wasn't yet given, that law couldn't be applied. Moses. I mean, it is written, one of the Ten Commandments, do not kill or do not murder. Do not murder. But 
Moses murdered an Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian straight up. So why wasn't the law applied to Moses? The law wasn't given yet. That particular law wasn't given yet. Not that there's excuses so Moses could go on and just start killing like crazy. But understand that with growth and maturity, in a carnal sense, you could say the reins get tighter. But in a spiritual sense, it's, it's beautiful because it's confirmation of growth and maturity in Christ. And what a beautiful exhortation it is for new believers who know nothing about the Bible, absolutely nothing about the Bible, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified and you believe in Him. Praise be to the Lord. It's not to say that you have excuse to do this and that and this and that. It's not to say that you are excused in those things. But with growth and maturity comes the denial of those things. Remember, it's beautiful to be a baby. But if you're a baby for three years, it comes at a heavy cost, just like it did in Corinth. And so, like, you know, the law says you shall not murder and Moses murdered. So why wasn't he guilty of the law? Well, the law wasn't given. You read verse 7, it's like, wow, it sounds like Joseph's brothers. How come they weren't held to account? In accordance to the law. How come the law wasn't applied to them? They were held to account by Joseph himself, but they weren't held to account in accordance to this law. Why? It wasn't given yet. That's not to excuse sin for new believers. But with new believers, you know, for those who are mature in Christ, you have to understand, you know, we make very, very, I'll say severe we make very severe distinction between 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We make all these severe distinctions. Because in your walk with the Lord, you're going to encounter Christians. And because of their behaviors, you're going to understand, okay, this person's 1 Corinthians you know, chapter 3. He's in first grade. She's in first grade. They think they're, you know, high academics. They think they're, you know, collegiate level. But no, they're just in first grade. And when you have this understanding, you'll know. Okay, remember the rugby match? You'll know. Okay, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 20-year-old, you know, rugby player. You know, I got the big arms, the big thighs. I can run. I can mow over anybody. But since I'm playing with this little third grader, this little two-year-old, No, I'm not going to do that. You humble yourselves. We humble ourselves to help that person grow and mature. Now, you're going to see people who are at first grade level, and I'm speaking spiritually. You're going to see people, and you might know them, you might have already encountered them, who are at first grade level. They have not matured, but yet they think they have. Stubbornness which also comes at a heavy cost for them. Because like Ezekiel, remember the Lord says, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you tell them what I what I tell you to say. And if you say it, you know, you're in the clear. I'm not going to hold it on you. But Ezekiel, if I tell you to say this and you don't do that, now their blood is on you. 
And so for the mature believers, you you have this, you know, some people are in first grade. You say you're in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. And through behaviors, through the fruit of the spirit and through the fruit of the flesh, where you see, wow, there's, you know, there's like one apple of the spirit, but then like, a million bananas of the flesh. You know, it's like you can see these things spiritually. I mean, when you have eyes, there's like one little apple, one little apple, one, one tiny little cherry, one tiny little, uh, little, little tiny uh, pomegranate seed, a little tiny of the spirit. But of the flesh, oh my goodness, it's like a jungle. Got the bananas, got the oranges, got this and that. It's like, and you can wow, this person's a baby. They believe in Jesus Christ. And then among those first graders, to have this understanding, okay, now we humble ourselves. Now, just like the Ezekiel model, you help that person and that person can grow and mature, but then you're going to encounter the first graders who want to stay there. And when you tell them what the word says, when you tell them, look, you know, this is what the Bible says. You're almost like that Ezekiel model where, you know, you're you're obedient to the Lord. You're telling them now because you've told them. Now, it's not, you know, we, we, not to be a jerk about it. But now that you've told them. All of a sudden, balls in their court. Just like Ezekiel, you know, the Lord says, you know, Ezekiel, you tell them and it's not on you. You don't tell them. It's on you. And so you make these distinctions. You're going to have first graders that want to stay in first graders. They want they want to stay first graders. But then you're going to have first graders who understand like, wow, I'm in first grade. I thought I was in third grade, but I'm just in first grade. And now I want to matriculate. I want to go to second grade and third grade and fourth grade. And I want to move on to perfection. And I say this to pastors too, who should already know this. But the majority of pastors don't know this. You also make this severe distinction because you're going to have first graders. Some of them want to move on to maturity, but the majority, they want to stay first graders. They think they're maturing, but they're not because you look at the fruit. One little banana compared to a million, trillion, bazillion different, you know, apples, oranges, the, the jungle of the flesh. And one, one little apple of the spirit. And when you see that, you've identified, okay, this is a, a, a baby Christian. This is a, 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 a Christian that's first grade level, which is beautiful. They need to grow. They need to understand. Now, when you're a pastor, the formula is right in you, pastor. The formula, you cannot be a hypocrite. Remember, only the crucified can correct. You know, when, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, you, you, you take Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And you take, you know, the grave soaker who says, follow me as I follow Christ. No, you follow the wrong one. You're going to go to hell. You take the, the, the mark of the beast guy who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Follow me as I follow Christ. You follow him. You're going to go to hell. You see? But you follow Paul. You follow Titus. You follow Timothy. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's going to be safe for you. So we choose wisely. We have to be Bereans. You see? 
And pastors, you have to make this distinction. Because it's like, okay, you have a group of people that want to grow and mature. Okay, praise the Lord. And you pray. You pray for everybody. But you make these distinctions. And as you have Christians that go from first grade to second grade to third grade to fourth grade, what you're looking at as they mature, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, that's the group of people where, you know, potential, that's like ministry, ministry material. That's how a person transitions from field to worker. You see? With that growth and maturity. And then at the same time, for the ones that are first graders and want to stay first graders, now you have another distinction to make. Okay, why are we stuck in first grade, guys? Why are we stuck in first grade? You know, three years arrested development. What's up? What's up with the, you know, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, all these things? You know, put it away. Lay these things aside, which so easily ensnare us. You know, put it, put it away. Don't do that anymore. And then it comes the warnings. We're going to study this when we get into pastoral epistles. Now comes the warnings. And then now there's the ultimate warning. Okay, you want to be three years arrested development? Okay, you know, I can only teach. That's that's it. I can only exhort, but you know, I can't force anything. Now you make these distinctions. Now this is leaven. This is leaven. There has to be a separation now. Pastors. Pastors, we have to be wise. Be wise. Remember, not to be uh, idiotes, not to be an idiot. Paul says, I'm just echoing the words of Paul. That's it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just echoing the words of Paul. Don't be an Id- idiot, idiotes in the Greek, without understanding. Because these days are evil. These days are wicked. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But there is a remnant. There is a remnant where you will find the utmost beauty. And there are teachers and pastors who will guide. And so we continue in verse uh, 7. You know that that the kidnapper shall die and you shall put away the evil from among you. Verse 8. Take heed or be on, on watch or on guard. It's a military term. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy, uncleanness. An outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. You see? The, now you see the, the priesthood as teachers. So yes, the, the priesthood, they have a, a specific job to do in the tabernacle. They have a specific job to do in the sacrifices and offering. But then at the same time, they're also teachers. And Moses is saying to the next generation, do according these priests, do what they teach you. Render obedience to these teachers. Now, the same exact model. When the formula is right in the Levite, when the formula is right in the priest, when the formula is right in these teachers, it's safe to do what they say. But when the formula is wrong, look at Eli and his wicked sons. When the formula is wrong in Eli, say you're female. You're female and you go to a young priest such as um, the, the, the son of Aaron. 
And you go to a priest and you say, you know, maybe not him. That's kind of like, you know, he's, you know, high priest, so lower level, you know, maybe, maybe he's your neighbor, you know, and you just, you know, you're female, okay, you're female. And you, you go to a priest where the formula is right. It's, it, I, I think I have, unclean, I think I have leprosy. I know it's uncleanness. I think I have leprosy. When the formula is right. Do you know how beautiful it is to go and seek not just guidance, not just counsel, but the, the, the means by which you can be cleansed again? And I'm speaking in accordance to the law. Like, you know, we're, we go back in time and we're here in the camp of Israel. It's, it's, it's safe. It is beautiful. It is lovely. It is, it's safe for you to do that. But it is the exact extreme severe opposite to do that with son of Eli, one of the sons of Eli. You go to the son, you know, hey, son of Eli, I, I, I think I might be a leper. You know, I think I have uncleanness. Do you know how dangerous that is? For, you're female. I mean, you know, for my female sisters in Christ. Do you know how dangerous that is to go to one of Eli's sons? You're not only, you know, where, you know, you'll be cleansed by one priest and you cleanse before the Lord with, with one priest. But with the other priest, you'll be defiled before the Lord, thinking that you're clean. You see? So when Moses says this, like, you know, just straight up in verse eight, do according to all that the priest, the Levites shall teach you. You see? It's it's it, 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 it seemingly a blanket statement. Okay, the Levites have a job. I'm going to do exactly what they say. But there's an inherent danger behind that. There's beauty. There's safety in that. But the formula's got to be right. You got to look at the fruit. This is straight up Old Testament. And you have to observe the fruit. Same thing, like, you know, oh, you know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the mark of the beast guy says, follow me as I follow Christ. They say the exact, so the reformed theory pastor, he calls himself pastor. I call him a servant of Satan. Study Bibles. Writings. He says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. And he calls himself a pastor. So you have Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you have said pastor who says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. And he says the exact same thing. Follow me as I follow Christ. Where is it safe? The grave soakers. Follow me as I follow Christ. They say the exact same thing as Paul. Where is it safe? Where, yes, there, you know, just like Hebrews 13, you know, obey those who rule over you, speaking of pastors. It's, there's safety. You know, we're, say if you and me were parishioners, we're in the pews. There is safety behind that verse to obey those who rule over us. But 
we have to look at the fruit. The formula not just needs to be right. Yes, there's that, but it better be right. There's, there's urgency behind that. It better be right. And if it's not right, don't follow. Don't follow. Piece of cake. It's, it's, it's kind of simple. It's kind of simple. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. This person, the Bible says, don't take the mark of the beast. This guy says, take the mark of the beast. The Bible says, you know, necromancy is an abomination. This guy says, go lay in the grave and the spirit that's in the grave is going to get soaked in the earth and soak into us. Come through the earth and soak into us. You see, it's kind of easy. When you're a Berean, you have to know this, what the scriptures teach to understand so that we can have eyes to see and ears to hear in these dark, wicked days. And this outbreak of leprosy in verse 8 <clears throat> and be careful to observe and do according to that, according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, just as I commanded them. So you shall be careful to do. Remember, the biblical model is in, then, through. And Moses taught the Levites. He said, you know, do, do like they... Remember the Miletus meeting? Paul with the elders of Ephesus in the meeting in Miletus in Acts 20. Now, those elders... It's very interesting how he, he didn't call the pastors. <laughs> he didn't call the pastors. He calls the elders. <clears throat> so he's with the elders. And there is relative safety behind obeying those particular elders. Relatively, relative safety. But then remember Paul says, after my departure, I know that wolves are going to come in. And even from among you guys. After my departure. Because there's certain things that Paul just won't put up with. And not to deify Paul. But Christ in Paul. Same with Moses. There's certain things that Moses, he's not going to put up with. He's not going to stand for. But after his departure, when he dies, you're going to see, wow, what happened to the priesthood? What happened with Eli? What happened with the sons? Because the Torah says that to do what the priests say. But if you do what the sons of Eli say, you're going to be more defiled, especially if you're female. I mean, if you're male, yes, but you know, even more so if you're female because they were doing sexual things with the females. There's safety. I mean, imagine you're female. Imagine going to Moses. He's your neighbor, you know, kind of higher echelon, but <laughs> say he's your neighbor. You're chummy with Moses. Hey, Moses, I, you know, you're female. I, I, I think I have leprosy. Do you see how safe it is? To get you right before the Lord. I'm not advocating the law. I'm just giving an example. It is safe for you to go to Moses. Because he wants you right before the Lord. But to go to Eli's son. You'll be more defiled before the Lord. Same thing like with Paul. Hey grave soaker. I, 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 I think I have some uncleanness. You're going to be more... Grave soaker is going to give counsel on, on, on marriage. Grave soaker is going to give counsel on living righteously. 
Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Is going to give counsel on doctrine? How to doctrinally apply when his doctrines is going to condemn to hell? You see, we have to make these distinctions. Asbureans. Because these days are wicked. I mean, the same thing we applied a hundred years ago. But even more so in these last days. And so we see here in verse 8, he says, Just as I commanded them, the Levites, so you shall care, be careful to do. You see, Moses knows I trained these guys. But after his departure, something happens. <clears throat> in verse 9, Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came, uh, uh, on the way when you came out of Egypt. Well, this is hardcore because remember, Miriam became unclean. Turn with me really quick to Numbers twelve, if you recall our study in Numbers twelve, a little refresher course. And in Numbers twelve, <clears throat> in Numbers twelve, there was a little beef with Miriam and Aaron that they had against Moses. A little beef. They they were critical of Moses. And so all of a sudden, in, in verse 2, in, in Numbers 12, verse 2, so they said, this is Miriam and Aaron. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? End quote. And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. That's the beauty of humility, because when you're humble before the Lord, male, female, I don't care, young, old, I don't care. But when you're humble, you're, you're out of the way. With pride, you're in the way. That's what pride does, it arrogance and pride of life and pride, just pride within a vessel. It's just, you're, you're in the way. There's too much of you. But when you're humble before the Lord, where it's like, like, like I want so little of me, I want so less of me that I am dead. I want so less of me, I want so tiny fragment of me that I'm dead. Bingo. Just like Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Look, he's out of the way. What if Paul were to say, look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I am. And oh yeah, I'm awesome. And I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know this, I know that, and this and that. No, whenever he does that, he's seemingly boastful. He says, I speak as a fool. He makes note to his audience, to a, a, a Christians, to saints in certain regions. He says, I speak as a fool. Remember his boast in Corinth, but his boast was in Christ. Remember that 10,000, the, the, all the, the teachers, the preacher guys who came to town leading astray and Paul gets on his little platform to stand up and say, look, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. And so at the same time, you see, Moses, in verse 3, Numbers 12, Moses, the, the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. He's out of the way. He's not in the way of what the Lord wants to do inside of the vessel of Moses. You can see a little picture of Moses crucified with Christ. He's out of the way. 
Suddenly, in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Now, it's very interesting to note here. The Lord is speaking, in verse 4, to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The Lord speaks to them. Beautiful. But in verse 2, Miriam and, 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 and Aaron, in their beef with Moses, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? When we juxtapose 2 and 4, the verses 2 and 4, you see, God speaks to all. God speaks to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. But who does he speak through? You see, that's a different ballgame. The same applies today. God, God speaks to, through his word, he speaks. He speaks. But who he speaks through is another ballgame. That's when we make the distinction between worker and field. In our study, Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand. We make these distinctions between worker and field. So many times people, oh, look, you know, just like Miriam, just like Miriam and Aaron. Oh, the Lord can speak through me too. The Lord can speak through me too. Thus saith the Lord. So therefore you do this and you do this, you do this, you do this. Now, look for Look for the fruit, but then also look for humility. And where you see a disconnect, do not heed that counsel. Because that's not the Lord speaking. They might say, you know, thus saith the Lord and this, this, this. That's where you get a lot of manipulation. A lot of manipulation. Husbands. You know, you hear husbands, you know, happy wife, happy life. Dumb husbands. Oh, happy wife, happy life. Nothing. Then wives get like, you know, wives become the, the, the leader of the home. And then you have these beta males as husbands. No, that's not the case. Don't let that. You see stupidity in marriage. I mean, we could talk about the church, but let's look at the, let's boil it down and look at marriage. A lot of husbands, oh, happy wife, happy life. Stupid. Husbands, men, or I say men because, you know, I speak in English, but you know how I feel about the matter. If that's your mindset, you need to repent. If you have the mindset of happy wife, happy life, you need to repent before the Lord. It's not to say that you want your wife to be like, you know, a mess, a basket case. But you honor the Lord. You fear the Lord. You don't fear your wife. You don't fear her. Now, it's not to say like, you know, she's nothing. You fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, supernaturally something happens in both you and the wife. Something, it's supernatural. It's, it's the Lord where the two become one. Husband and wife become one. But also three become one because it's husband, wife, and Jesus Christ. It's not to say that Wives are, you know, like, you know, treat her like dirt. Remember our, 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 our subject, our, 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 our topical study? Topical, but, it, you know, we had the little pause. 
where we look, you know, hardcore on, you know, for wives and husbands and, you know, and or, or wives and husbands and, and, and kids and, and the dads and, you know, in, 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 in Ephesians 5 and 6. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's not to treat her like dirt. Love your wife like Christ loved the church, but don't let your wife become the Lord. You see? The Lord is the Lord. And a lot of husbands have this mindset, oh, happy wife, happy life. So, you know, wife wants me to do crack, I'm going to go do crack. Oh, I got to keep her happy. Wife wants me to do this, so I'm going to do this. Then you got little beta males. That's, welcome, that, that's, that, that's where we are. That's where we are. Another sign of the times. It's like, the, the step towards the direction of uh, apostasy. And that's where we are. Now, men, I love you. I don't say this to hurt your little feelers. But we have to have this understanding as mature believers. And if you're not mature, get yourself to that level of mature. Listen to our study through First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And understand these things. Because when the Lord is at for men... Husbands, not happy wife, happy life, happy Lord. When the Lord is well pleased in you, all of a sudden, everything just falls into place. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. I mean, I can explain it, but I mean, you have to experience it. Not that we follow after experiences, but you know, it's, it's supernatural. And when you see that happen, you see the hand of the Lord, but eyes are required. You need eyes to see. And you have these beta males for husbands. Oh, happy wife, happy life, happy wife. And they got a little grin on their face. Happy wife, happy life. Stupid fools. Fool. Yes, men, fools. Husbands, fools. Christians, fools. Even pastors, happy wife, happy life. Fools. We fear the Lord. And we serve the Lord. And we honor the Lord. And if your wife's not happy with that, <laughs> you propose, you know, that, that's on you. <laughs> it's just a vapor. <laughs> but praise be to the Lord. Because the Bible shows us, he teaches, he shows us the blueprints. And so you see that the Lord is speaking to Miriam, Aaron, and Moses in verse 4. But Miriam and Aaron, you know, has the in verse two, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Who the Lord speaks through is a different ballgame. You see, it's a different ballgame. Just like you take the grave soaker, a pastor in a grave soaking church, and Paul. They could give counsel. They could give counsel. And in giving counsel... They could say, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. The grave soaker, a pastor who's a grave soaker. And, you know, Redding, a church, global church coming out of Redding, California. You take the grave soaker who says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's dangerous. With the Paul, it's safe. With the grave soaker, it's dangerous. Deadly even. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. 
You see? It's not to say that this person can't pick up a Bible and read the Bible and the Lord speaks to them. Because absolutely. But who the Lord speaks through, not to. Who the Lord speaks through. That's a different ballgame. And so we see in verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting, exclamation point. So the three came out. Then the Lord <clears throat> came down in, a, in the pillar of cloud and stood in, in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. So the three are there. He called Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. Now he's speaking specifically to Aaron and Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward in verse six. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Remember what is written of Moses in, 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 in verse three. That the man Moses is very humble, more than all who are on the face of the earth. You remember who were who we're dealing with here. And not to not to deify Moses, but the Lord in Moses. In verse 7, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. So the prophet, like in verse 6, the prophet vision, the prophet dream, Moses face to face. Even plainly in verse 8, and not in dark saying, dark dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. And then he poses this question to Aaron and Miriam. Why then were you not afraid? Why then were you not afraid? And it and it's not like fear of Moses. It's fear of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid? To speak against my servant Moses. That's why sometimes people have beef with me. How How is it that you speak against this pastor like this? How is it that you speak against this pastor? This is the grave soakers and the mark of the beast people. How is it that you speak against? He's a pastor for crying out loud. How is it that you speak against? You look at the formula. That ain't no pastor. You look at the biblical formula. That ain't no pastor. Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That ain't no pastor. Soak up the spirit that is in graves. You're going to soak up a spirit, but it ain't holy. That ain't no pastor. But the Bible says you shouldn't, you, you should fear to speak against these people. Yeah, when the formula is right. I dare not speak against another brother, a pastor, a teacher where the formula is right. They're not because that's a vessel of the Lord. You see? And we see in verse 9, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam and there she was, a leper. You see, she's unclean. Her uncleanness is not to say that the Lord was not speaking to them, but they wanted to the Lord to speak through them. 
And it's not to say that that couldn't happen because in the case of Aaron, it did happen. He was a high priest. But there was still growth and maturity in Aaron that needed to happen. It's not to say that the Lord couldn't speak through them, but not yet. They have to get to a point where they are humble before the Lord, out of the way. Remember Paul? It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. You see, same thing for you and me as new covenant believers. A lot of times people, oh, I want to be a vessel of the Lord. I want this. I want the Lord to speak through me. I want the Lord to speak through me. Now, I'll tell you this in my experience. Of the ones that the Lord speaks through, which are very few that I know, of the ones that the Lord speaks through, it's not like they don't get on a high horse about it. They're never like, oh, thus saith the Lord. They never boast in their knowledge of the Bible. They never boast about their knowledge of this and that. They never boast. But when they speak, it's a different ball game. That's just in my experience. The hypocrisy. Remember the formula. We got observe the formula. Not wife number two, wife number three, you know, strippers over here, gambling over here, you know, Buddha over here, little white lie over here. Nothing. No hypocrisy. The formula is right. And these are things that we look for. It's not to say that, you know, if, if you're uh, 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 in the, you know, you're, you're in the field, you're not a worker, but you're in the field. It's not to say that the Lord cannot speak through you. But there's dying that needs to happen. Dying that needs to... Remember, the, the Lord carried his cross and he even had help. There are people in your life, the Lord will help you carry your cross. And the cross is an instrument of death. And when these teachers and pastors speak that I know of, and they speak, it's just different. You could hear the grave soakers, you could hear this, and it's It's fluff. But when these men, when they speak, when they open their mouths and what comes out of their heart, the outpouring of their heart, it's a different ballgame. And so we see here, <clears throat> so Miriam, she became a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, which was, you know, in accordance to the law, this is, you know, uh, uh, it denotes a shameful act. Would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterward she may be received again. In verse 15, so Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought out again. Very interesting what we see here. So the assembly, the camp of Israel, they do not move with uncleanness. Very interesting what we see here in verse 15. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. So with her uncleanness, 
the assembly, the camp of Israel, did not move on. Does that sound familiar? Does that remind you a little bit of Corinth? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. And the whole camp of Corinth was not moving until the separation happened. And that separation was a result of leaven, carnality, sin, trespass. And once that separation happened, okay, remnant, now let's move on. You see, in that state of uncleanness, it is not good. A little leaven leavens the bunch. Yes, we exercise grace. Yes, we exercise mercy and love and forgiveness, the whole nine yards. Everything in obedience to the Lord. Yes, we exercise these things. But we have to understand the threat. Yes, the threat that sin poses, not just to a person, but to the church. Look at Corinth. For three years, arrested development. Compare Corinth to Philippians. Three years, arrested development versus 13 years of continual growth and maturity. Now, look at the difficulty of studying 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians. Look at the difficulty of studying those things. I mean, you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember we, we touched on certain subject matter where it's like, whoa, that is, that's no joke. That's pretty heavy. But then we get into Philippians and it's like, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's beautiful though. The hard stuff is beautiful, but in a, an abrasive sense. And then in Philippians, it's like, wow, this is like, this is like a meadow. This is like just a, a beautiful meadow. It, it's not, it's like a thick, rough forest where, you know, you take one wrong step and, you know, a fall over here and a fall over it, there, there's not the, the, the dangers presented in Corinth. Remember, Philippi was also a, a commercial hub. Not unlike Corinth in a carnal sense. But in a spiritual sense, very much so unlike Corinth. Why? Because of maturity. A people who could together move on to perfection. Together with leaven, they could not move in Corinth. And you see a little picture of that in the Old Testament. In verse 15 here in Numbers 12, So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. Now Miriam, when she was brought in again, she was no longer a leper. She was clean again. And with her state of cleanness, okay, let's move on. You see? In verse 16, and afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Beautiful. I mean, difficult, yes, because of what happened. To and through, different ballgame. The Lord speaks to anyone. Anyone. You could be a non-believer. And pick up the Bible. His word is his word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It does not return to him void. You pick up the Bible and you're reading the very word of our Lord. And he speaks to you. 
You open up the Bible, you read, he's speaking to you. Now, I have to admit, if you're not a believer and you do that, all of what you read needs some type of interpretation. Like a teacher, just like Romans 10 teaches us. Teachers are necessary. People are called to be pastors and teachers and elders specifically for that job, to teach what the Bible says. And the Lord speaks to anybody. But who the Lord speaks through is a different ballgame. Many, many proclaim it. But whether it is true, you have to look at the fruit. You see? Very, very specific, these blueprints that are set before us in Genesis to Revelation. Very, very specific. And so we understand in, in go, let's go back to Deuteronomy now. <clears throat> we understand here in Deuteronomy, in verse 8, take heed in this outbreak of leprosy. He says, you know, at the end of verse 8, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. And a little warning that Moses has. Remember, 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 remember. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. And that's what we just looked at in Numbers 12. And then another subject matter. He says, he gets into verse 10. When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. Remember, pledges here can be an item or it can also be people. It can also be people. It's, it's, it, 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 we see here, uh, when you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. He says in verse 11, you shall stand outside and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. So it's not like, you know, a loan shark. You know, where like, you know, you have to be a loan shark where, you know, you're going to barge into somebody's house and say, you know, give me the collateral, give me this, give me the pledge. You know, nothing like that at all. <clears throat> Everything, it's, I want to say honor system, but it's, that's a cheesy way of saying it. I just don't know how to say it. It's, it's honor system, but it's honoring of the Lord. So stand outside. You don't have to bust into his house and take his pledge. You don't have to bust in his house and want you want your collateral. You don't have to bust in his. No, just stand outside. And the man to whom in verse eleven, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. Translates as you shall not sleep with his pledge overnight because this is for the poor. Now, what do the poor have to offer? Now, if you're wealthy, what do the poor have to offer? No, they like carnally speaking there's nothing in value there i mean you you talk to a rich guy and then you talk to you know a, a poor guy there's like there's nothing of value that the rich guy wants or needs from the poor guy and i'm i speak carnally in saying that there's, there's nothing i mean you know a rich guy has like you know platinum version of xyz the poor guy has the plastic version the the, the the rich guy doesn't want that and so when a poor guy when there's a pledge of the poor more often what they were it weren't they were not items they were children they were the kids because that's all the poor guy has to offer 
Hey, I, I, I need your help. I need this. You know, a poor guy goes to the rich guy. Hey, I need your help, you know, and I need this. And the rich guy says, sure. What will you give me as pledge? And the poor guy knows, well, you know, this guy has gold and platinum and this, that, everything's fine. Everything's like, wow, he's got, you know, cream of the crop this, cream of the crop that. And I'm not going to give him, you know, like plastic. All I got is plastic. All You know, I got the same thing, but it's made out of paper. So it's not the same thing. It's, it's of lower value. He doesn't want that. So here, take my son. Take my son. He'll serve you in your home for, you know, for the day while I, while I use this item of yours. Remember, look at the heart matter. Look at the hearts in this transaction. You have the rich guy who's not looking down on the poor guy, not like, you know, how dare you come to my presence, poor guy. No. You have the rich guy who's like, okay, what? no big deal. You want to use this? Here, use it. But what will you give me as pledge? And the poor guy had nothing to offer, you know, instead of, you know, platinum this, instead of gold plated this, instead of, you know, just solid gold, whatever. Silver this, silver that. Look, all I got is paper, so that's of no value to you. And the rich guy knows it. The poor guy knows it. This is of no value to you. So here's my son. He can help you in your field. He can work in your field with the servants. Here's here's my daughter. Take her. She can work in your home. You see? She can work in your tent. Take my daughter. Now, when the formula is right... It's actually quite beautiful because you don't see any chasms between the classes. You don't see any schisms between the two classes. It's not like the, the rich guy is saying, oh, you dumb, poor guy. You're of no value to me. I want nothing. Get away from me. Go cross, go on the other side of the tracks. You know, don't come near me. No, it's like, sure, you need this here. I'll help you out. No big deal. Look, I'll help you. And then the poor, it's, it's, it's a beautiful transaction when you when you look at the hearts. The poor guy says, here, take my son. The poor guy says, here, take my daughter. She can help you in your home. When the formula is right, look at what's the what's, what the beauty of it in the rich guy, in the poor guy, in the son, in the daughter. Look at the beauty of it. When the for, Look at the safety of it when the formula is right. But when the formula is wrong, look at the, the room for corruption. Where... The rich guy, all of a sudden, he has daughter in his tent. Look at the corruption. I don't want to get crass in teaching this, but picture when the formula is wrong in the guy. And all of a sudden, you have, you know, 13-year-old girl in his tent. Look at the room for corruption. And so Moses, in verse 11, or in verse 12, if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge or how it translates in the Hebrew, sleep with his pledge overnight. It's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. The guy, the poor guy lends you his son to help you in the field. Okay, it's not an overnight deal. He doesn't have a son. He just has daughters and he lends you the daughter to help you in your home, to help you in your tent. No, it's not an overnight deal. You see? It's not for you to sleep with. And so we see this in verse 13. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. See? 
It's the, the, the poor. The poor guy and the rich guy. The poor guy has no items of value. But carnally speaking, but the greater value is in the blessing that the poor guy can offer to the rich guy. Do you see how, according to the flesh, that is like, it's impossible to understand. Remember, the poor guy has nothing of value to the rich guy. Everything he has is plastic. Everything he has is paper, paper mache. Nothing. It's not like platinum, solid gold. It's not, nothing like that because he's a poor guy. Carnally speaking, the poor guy has nothing of value for the rich guy. But spiritually speaking, the poor guy, when the formula is right and the rules are followed, the poor guy blesses the rich guy. You see? And in order to understand this, ears are required. You see? Because in, in the middle of verse 13, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. Carnally speaking, it's the rich guy that's blessing the, blessing the poor guy. But spiritually speaking, it's a diff, another transaction is happening. The poor guy is blessing the rich guy. You see, it's like Isaiah. When Isaiah makes reference of like, you know, the hearing the law, carnally speaking, so many people couldn't even understand that. What do you mean hear the law? The law is written on scrolls. What do you mean, Isaiah? Talking, you're talking about hearing the law? Just like Paul, you who desire to be, uh, you, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you who desire to be under law, do you not hear the law? Do you not hear the law? You see, even in the Old Testament, ears to hear are required. At the end of verse 13, and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God, for the rich guy. You see how beautiful this is? When the formula is wrong, so the poor guy, nothing of value goes to the rich guy. Rich guy, I, I, I need your help, you know, you know, I, I need this. Rich guy doesn't say, oh, go on the other side of the train tracks. You're, you're on the wrong side of town, poor guy. No, sure, what do you need? Okay, you need this here. Here you go. Oh, what's pledge? What, what what's what, what are you going to give me as pledge? You know, keep things on the up and up. Here's my daughter. I don't have any sons. Here's my daughter. I don't have I got paper mache this. I got plastic this. I know you don't want it. I know it's of no value. And the rich guy's like, "Yeah, you know, let's let's, let's not blow smoke on each other's faces. You're right. It's of no value to me." What's your pledge? Here's my daughter. Now, when the formula is right, the whole transaction is lovely. The whole transaction is beautiful, exquisitely beautiful and holy. But the rich guy says, wow, okay, say the formula is wrong in him. Okay, this guy's over here. You know, now I got this, this girl in my tent. Wickedness. You see, look at everything that I don't want to get descriptive, but you get my drift. You get a little 13 year old girl with, you know, an adult male. I meant 
But when the formula is right, you know, adult male says, you know, here, look, can, you know, I don't know how you cook, but here's the fixings. Here's this. You open the fridge and have at it. Do whatever you want. Or you want to clean this, you know, do whatever you want. You know, clean this over here. Clean this over there. You know, do this. You want to, you know, look, you want to be with my other servants. You can make me, you join them. They can, you know, how to make dinner, how to make this plate, how to make this dish, whatever, you know, learn from them. Everything's beautiful. Everything's on the up and up. It's beautiful. The guy, the guy takes the 13 year old and says, okay, you're done. You know, thank you. That was a lovely meal. Thank you. And let me walk you back to your, your, your tent and let me walk you back home. They walk, they laugh, they joke, they say all these things, they praise the Lord, they worship the Lord, they talk about good, good, God's goodness, conversation is beautiful, everything's on the up and up, nothing dirty, nothing wicked, nothing carnal, everything's beautiful. And they have beautiful conversation, it's lovely. Rich guy goes to poor guy, hey poor guy, here's your daughter, you know, she was... She was so lovely. She would, she blessed my socks off and, you know, she cleaned like this and, you know, she made this beautiful meal and wow, you know, I don't know who's going to be your husband one day, but man, she's going to be a huge blessing to her husband because that husband is going to get fat because girlfriend can cook. You see how beautiful it is? Nothing dirty, nothing carnal, nothing nasty, nothing gross, nothing worthy of stoning. Everything's on the up and up. She was such a, oh, did you, you know, for, for what you used, what you, you know, did, did it help you? Did, did it, did it, did it work well for you? Yeah, the poor guy says, yeah, it was, it was, thank you for blessing me. Thank you, 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 you blessed me, rich guy. Here's your, you know, doohickey back. Here's your whatever back. Thank you. Oh, you know, all to the Lord, you know. All to the Lord, you know. It's it's it's, it's all for Him, Lachaim. <laughs> it's all for Him. Everybody goes home. Poor guy goes to bed at night. Poor girl goes to bed at night. She's under the covering of you know her dad. Rich guy goes to bed at night. He's the covering of the Lord. The dad is the the Lord is the covering of the poor guy. The Lord is the covering of the rich guy. Do you see how beautiful it is? And yes, the rich guy blessed the poor guy. But supernaturally, in the spirit, the poor guy was the blessing on the rich guy. And for the rich guy, at the end of verse 13, it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You see, it's like, it's incredible. It's like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. But when the formula is wrong, when rich guy says, hey, sure, I'll lend you this. Give me your daughter. Corruption, wickedness. What about when the poor guy says, hey, I can, you know, pull profit off of my kids. So here, yeah, take her, take him. And I don't want to get grotesque. But wickedness, wickedness. How it can creep in, yes, in the camp, but how it can creep in the heart, the mind. There's the opportunity to obey the Lord or the opportunity to disobey the Lord. 
Balls in your court. You see? Balls in your court. And remember, the Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. And when the formula is right, you could be a poor guy. And when the formula is right in the rich guy and you see the fruit, you know, here, take my daughter. Here, she's going she's gonna to cook for you. She's going to clean. Take my son. He's going to help you in this. Take, take. The formula is right. You honor the Lord. You fear the Lord. I see the fruit, all these things. And, you know, we're, 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 we're brothers. We're of the same camp. We're of the same kin. Everything is beautiful. But when, you know, poor guy observes, whoa, this guy's wicked. Well, I see how how he looks at the females. I see how he looks at little teenage girls. And I'm not going to go to him when I need help. I'm not going to him. The formula's wrong in him. I'm not going to go to the you know crazy town. I'm not going to seek counsel. I'm not going to seek aid from him. You see, now there's a room that opens the door for wisdom. As wisdom, it becomes a learned thing. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, we read aspects of the law. It's like, whoa, that's scary. You know, you do this, you know, say hello to the stones. You do that, okay, say hello to the stones. You do this, you do that, okay, stone to the face. That's scary. And with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then you learn wisdom. Okay, I'm not, you know, I got my 13-year-old daughter. I'm not sending her over there. I got my, you know, 10-year-old son. I dare not send him to that guy. I'm not even going to go to that guy for help. I know he's got riches, but no, I'm not, I don't, I'm not taking I'm going to go to this other, this other guy. I'm going to go to this middle class guy. You know, I, I don't need the platinum. I'll settle for, you know, uh, bronze. You see? You learn, and not, that's just the physical transaction. Applying wisdom. But then there's a spiritual transaction where the poor blesses the rich. The rich blesses the poor carnally. The poor guy goes to them for help or, you know, for, 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 for whatever it is. But supernaturally, there's another transaction where the poor blesses the rich. Carnally speaking, the poor guy has nothing of value. Supernaturally speaking, the poor guy has things of the utmost of value. You see? Carnally speaking, no value to what the poor has to bring to the table, so to speak. Supernaturally, different ballgame. Do you see how through... I mean, we're at Deuteronomy, the straight-up Torah. We're, and you see, it's like, wow, this is things according to the Spirit. And Torah? Yes, absolutely. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. To those who have ears. And for the rich guy, just like it's written in verse 13, it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Now, even in the law, for people to think of their lives, the embodiment of their, the very essence of their being as a sweet aroma to the Lord, not everybody does it. In, in fact, the vast majority doesn't do it. Following the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law? Very few people follow it. But in the Old Testament, you see people that do, male and female. You see people that do, but eyes are required. 
In verse 14, you shall not oppress or violate a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. This is inside the camp. Inside the camp. Now, understandably so, <clears throat> there is negative connotation with the concept of servanthood. Understandably so. I mean, we look at history. I teach from America. You look at American history. Very negative connotation when you consider servanthood or in some parts of the world, especially historically speaking, very negative connotations. But it's a little different with the camp of Israel in accordance to the law. A little different. Where you start to realize, wow, you know, if I was a servant in Canaan, oh my goodness, like I'm toast. I, I don't know if I'll survive a year if I'm a servant in, 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 in Canaan. I, I, I wouldn't survive six months if I'm a servant in, 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 in uh, um, uh, Moab. You know, it's like, to understand, especially if you're female, if you're female, like, they would do things. They would do things. I mean, I don't want to get graphic, but they would do things of the sexual nature to their servants. Servants of their own people, but servants especially, even more so, of other people's. But when you read the law, it's like, wait a second, this this isn't so bad as a servant in the camp of Israel, wow, this isn't, this isn't so bad. And a lot of times people, mockers, oh, there was slavery, there was servanthood, all these things, and look, the Bible's so bad, this Bible's so bad, and slavery this, slavery that, because they're thinking carnally in terms of slavery, maybe in more recent history, slavery in, you know, past history, when you read the Bible and you, you see actual slaves in the camp of Israel, which is a temporal thing, certain rules and provisions and statutes in the law, which is like a, a pathway to freedom. It's like, whoa, this, this is so bad. I, I could be a, a slave of, uh, of Canaan, I could be a slave of the Hittites, I could be a slave of the Hivites, the, the Jebusites. And I'm toast. If you're female, you're like, you're seriously toast. But for a slave, a servant in the camp of Israel, where it is written in the Torah, in verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of your aliens who is in your land within your gates. Aliens is like, you know, a, a, a non-Jew. You see? You say, wait a second, this is just a hired servant. Well, remember what we studied a couple weeks ago. Servants from, you know, you go in, they go into war with other peoples and then servants from them. It's like, okay, same thing. Do not oppress them. They have a choice to make if they want to be in this region or that region. They have choices involved. What slave has choice? In accordance to, you know, the worldly connotations, worldly historical uh, backdrop and understanding. What slave has choice? But in the camp of Israel, it's different. I'm not advocating slavery. But in one sense, I am. 
slave of Christ, servant of Christ. The very thing that we see in the Old Testament about going into enemy camps and taking slaves in in accordance to the Spirit, that was me. In accordance to the Spirit, that was you. And as servants of Christ, you start to realize, well, wow, this this ain't so bad. And I speak carnally in saying that because it's like, well, wait a second, look. When I was a slave to sin, there was all kinds of riffraff to deal with. And I don't want to get into details, but quite literally, a lot of riffraff, a lot of drama. But a slave to Christ... All of a sudden, it's like, wow, it's it's not so bad. You see? These are things which come to light, which are made clear when we read the Bible, which is spiritually discerned, but when we read and understand the Bible as New Covenant believers, all of a sudden, we read these passages, and it's like, wow, look how, look how these things come to life in a deeper, deeper way. When we have this understanding... Now, There are some pastors, doing my air quotes, who don't like teaching the Old Testament. They don't like touching on the, oh, these are just, these are, these are books of like, you know, very uh, vengeful books and, you know, wrath and all these things. So we don't touch on them. We don't study the Torah because we're, we're, we're new covenant believers and we just read New Testament. We just study New Testament. But there's a lot missing. You see what's being missed? I mean, just in studying just this particular passage about oppressing the, the servant. Not which is not to be done. It's quite beautiful, quite lovely to be a servant in the camp of Israel. Yes, in accordance to the law, I'm speaking, you know, if we were supernaturally to go in our, you know, supernatural time machine and go back in time. But even more so today, even more so right here, right now. And it might be you presently Presently, right here, right now, not a believer in Jesus Christ. And you are a slave to sin. I was there. I was there. Wake up and not know where in the world you are. Wake up and not know who in the world is this. Wake up and like, what in the world happened? That's slave to sin. Slave to sin. And you feel it. You don't feel good. When you're a slave to sin, and I tell you from experience, you don't feel good. There's no joy in that. People say there's a, oh yeah, I got a lot of joy. Look, I'm a party animal and I got a lot of joy. And I get it. There's, you know, there's, you know, there's laughter involved with the, you know, sinful activity. But it's very, very temporal. You could be laughing and yucking it up. But in the course of time, your face is going to be in the toilet. You see? I tell you these things from experience. And I remember feeling so dirty, so filthy. I could take a million showers with Brillo pads and and, and wire brushes and... 
steel wool. And I would still, the, the, the filth was deeper than skin. And I was filthy in my heart. I was a slave to sin. And I tell you from experience that a slave of Christ is far better. Far, far, far better a slave to Christ. Where there's still waters, still waters and green pastures. It is a beautiful, beautiful meadow being a slave to Christ. And I say this to the non-believer. You might feel that same yuck, that same filth being a slave to sin. A trap of Satan. A slave of Satan. And I want to rescue you. With the very words, believe in Jesus Christ. And I say this all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it all the time. You hit pause, and you listen to the message, you know, commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you listen to that, you commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you become a believer. You become my brother. You become my sister. Heirs of Abraham. In accordance to the promises of God. And then we continue on. Together, you and me, we continue on. And grow and mature to the fullness of Christ. A slave to sin no more. Bondservants of Christ. And so we continue in verse 15. Each day you shall give him wages. Look, it's like, what? The servant gets wages? The slaves gets wages? What? You know how it was in Canaan? You know how it was in the Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites? Different ballgame for sure. It's not, not, not so good. You, you, you'd be lucky to survive a year. If you're female, you'd be lucky to survive six months. But in the camp of Israel, it's different. Each day in verse 15, you shall give him wages and not let the sun go down on it. For he is poor and he has set his heart on it. You see? He has said, you know, poor people, if you're rich and, you know, sometimes rich people, they have faith in their riches, which isn't good. Remember, if you're rich and you're a Christian, never, ever forget if you're blessed with the wealth of the world, never forget that it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle. Never forget that. And if you're poor, never forget that there are rich brothers and sisters in Christ, such as Barnabas, son of encouragement, landowner who sold his properties and gave 100% of the proceeds to the church. Don't forget that. A lot sometimes poor people, they, you know, oh, you know, we hate rich people. We hate rich people. They oppress us. And in some cases, there is oppression. But we hate rich people because, oh, they live here. We hate rich people because, oh, they drive this. Oh, we hate rich people because, look, we're starving and, you know, they're eating. You know, they're they're not starving. They have plenty, but for us, we're poor. But in the early church, you don't see, you see that in the church today. But you don't see that in the early church. 
You see, the sharing of money and finances in the early church, and I'm not speaking like in a Marxist mentality. Remember, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm speaking about what the Bible says. What the Bible teaches. The fellowship of the saints. Koinonia, the ecclesia. For poor people, like in verse 15. Don't let, you know, give, give them the day's wages. Don't withhold paycheck. Don't say, oh, well, you know, I'll pay you next week. Like you pay him right there. Do not let the sun go down on it. You pay him the end of the day right there. Because he's poor, he set his heart on it. Look how, you know, say you're poor. You know how, how, how you, you look forward to payday. Rich people don't care about payday. Because they have plenty in the bank. They have plenty assets. They don't care about payday. Payday is just, you know, more taxes. Rich people will think differently. But poor people, it's like, wow, you know, tomorrow's payday and wow, I better get my money and this time and boom, you know, I'm going to, as soon as I got it, I'm spending, it's all gone. Poor people look forward to these things. Rich people, they, I mean, they care, but it's like, you know, there's, there's a steady flow of assets and, you know, the, I don't want to get into like, you know, financial strategies and stuff, but poor people, rich people just think differently. But if you're rich, if you're blessed with finances, don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget the widows. Don't forget the orphans. Just like the Bible says. Don't be stingy. Just as the Old Testament, you, we see these examples, you know, no stinginess. Don't say, oh, you know, you know, work for me and I'll pay you next week. No, you pay them right then. That poor guy is looking forward to his wage. Because, yes, you're going to pay him at the end of the day. On his way home, he's going to go to the market, buy some bread, buy this and this and this and feed his family. Don't be stingy. And you see how beautiful this is in the camp of Israel. And yes, it's beautiful, but a lot of room for corruption and corruption we will see happen. Just like Paul says, after my departure, things are going to get crazy. Well, same thing with Moses. After his departure, things get, things get crazy. And so we see in verse 15, not let the sun go down, you know, give him his wages, not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and he has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you. <laughs> that is so beautiful. It's so, you know, it's, it, it's so powerful when you see not just the hand of the Lord, but the favor of the Lord, understanding that, yes, he's no respecter of persons. You, you can't be a rich guy and think like, wow, you know, the Lord is on my side because I'm rich. Look, he's blessed me here. He's blessed me there. And look, the Lord is on my side because I'm rich. No, the world might be on your side because, you know, you're rich and people like to follow this. And you might think you're an influencer, but God is no respecter of persons. God has no reason. He doesn't care about your riches. Your riches are nothing to him. Absolutely. You might have, you know, $5 billion in the bank. In assets, I'll say. 
Five billion in assets. You know what value that is to the Lord? Zero. I want to say less than zero. Zero value to the Lord. But in the ways of the world, you might have a bunch of people giving you accolades. A bunch of people patting you on the back and, you know, you might think you're an influencer. And in the ways of the world, you might be an influencer. You ever see like rich people, you know, they go, they have their conventions, you know, and, you know, rich investors, you know, they have wealth and they have these investors conferences and the, the richest guy there, the, 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 the prime shareholder says XYZ and everybody flocks and does exactly what he says, XYZ, XYZ. They're pumping their book. That's what they're doing. They're cooking their books. And in the ways of the world, they might be an influencer. They might have all kinds of different asset values. But to the Lord, it's not just peanuts. It's straight up no nuts. It's zero. And here in the camp of Israel, if the rich guy wants to play this game, he's poor and he has set his heart on his wages. He's going to go home and buy some food. Got to feed his family. And if you don't do that, if you want to play games with him and the poor guy, if he cries out to the Lord against you, all of a sudden the Lord counts it to you, rich guy, as sin. <laughs> I love that. I love that. God is no respecter of persons. It's beautiful. Because you see, in the camp of Israel, yeah, a guy might just offer turtle doves. But in the eyes of the Lord, that's like the cream of his crop. That's the best of what he has to offer and sacrifice to the Lord. And then a guy might offer three ox. And that's the cream of his crop. Rich and poor offering to the Lord together. The rich guy is not looking down at the poor guy. The poor guy is not looking down on the rich guy. It's... Lovely in the camp of Israel when the formula is right. When the formula is right. And so we see here in verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Every soul will stand before the Lord for himself or herself. But I have a little message for parents. Lovely parents in the Lord. Don't forget the millstone. (laughs) Don't forget the millstone. Oh, I don't like the millstone. Why did you mention the millstone? Hey, you did the deed. You did the deed. You see, it's, 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 it's part of the gig. You know, it's it's beautiful, you know, the to have kids and, you know, it's beautiful. It's lovely. But then at the same time, there's responsibility behind that. Don't forget the millstone. Yes, it's true. A person stands before the Lord and shall be put to death for his own sin or given life for his own righteousness. And that righteousness is the Lord. We're all going to stand before the Lord individually. It's not like a group meeting standing before the Lord. You see? But for parents, don't forget the millstone. Train up your children. 
Teach them the ways that he should go, the ways that she should go. Teach them in the ways of righteousness so that they can make decisions that honor the Lord. They can live for the Lord. I love so much like with Jacob, how Jacob would always say, the God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. And it might be, if you're young, 10 years old, 12 years old, you might say, the God of my parents, the Jesus of my mom, the Jesus of my dad. But there's coming a time where you're going to have to make a choice. My beautiful brother or my beautiful sister, little brother, little sister, whom I love. Where you're going to have to make a choice for yourself. Just like Jacob. The God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. And then he wrestled with the Lord. Got a little messed up too. And then he said, the Lord, my God. And then the Lord said to him, you are no longer Jacob. You are now Israel, governed by God. You see, to my young brothers, my young sisters, maybe, you know, eight years old, 10 years old, 13 years old. You go to church, you listen to Bible study, you do these things. Why? Because mom says, dad says, do all these things. Yes, the God of my father, the Jesus of my dad, the Jesus of my mom. But there is coming a time. And I pray soon, I pray today, where you make the choice for yourself. My Lord, my God. Now, you know, parents aren't saying, hey, read your Bible, hey, study your Bible, hey, read your Bible. They're not saying that. You're just doing it. Because he's your Lord. And your God, whom you love. You see? And so we get into verse 17. <clears throat> you shall not pervert justice. I love how he says this even again. Remember in chapter 16, turn to chapter 16, verse uh, Deuteronomy 16. And in Deuteronomy 16, verse 19, you shall not pervert, pervert justice. You shall not show partiality nor take a bribe for a, bri- a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous, you see? And it use that's, it, it's like, don't pervert justice. Remember, it's to, to the, to the in verse 18 of, of Deuteronomy 16, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. These are not just judges and officers, but it is also said of the elders. There are certain roles where it's so beautiful, so necessary, and yes, holy but the formula has to be right in multiple multiple camps yes in a tent yes among the the judges yes among the elders yes among the officers yes among the levites yes among the kohanim and yes in the priesthood and the formula's got to be right in the camp same thing in the church remember multiple burners we got like 20 burners and in every vessel the in every pot every pan the formula's got to be right in baby girl, in mom, in dad, the formula's got to be right. In pastor, the formula's elder, formula's got to be right. In the in, in in one family, in the next family, formula's got to be right. You see? And when the formula is right, that's when you get into straight up acts type stuff. That's when you get into straight up acts like like 
Remember in our study in the book of Acts, how we see the church on defense, but then you also see the church on offense. But when the formula is right in multiple vessels, you see like, oh, like it's time to get down. Like straight up warfare. And not just warfare like with our shields, warfare with our swords. Like straight up, we're going on offense. When the formula is right across all the burners, pastor, elder, different families, you know, the kids and the parents and all the... When that happens, which Satan will fight tooth and nail to prevent from happening. But when that happens, that's like Book of Acts type stuff. Which... The last days, I don't want to say church. The last days, saints. There's a pathway to get there, to reach that level. There's a pathway. Very specific blueprints. And we have to understand these things. We have to be Bereans in these last days. And... You see, when the formula is right, it's it's safe to go to the judges. When the formula is right, it's safe to go to the priest. When the formula is right, it's safe to go to the uh, your neighbor. When the formula is right. But when it's wrong, just all kinds of mess happens. And what do we see in the church today? All kinds of mess. Look at the formula. Look at the fruit. You see? And going back to Deuteronomy 24, verse 17, is the same exhortation. You shall not pervert justice. But it's justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. You see, it's, you know, seemingly lower class. And I'm doing my air quotes when I say seemingly lower class. This corruption does, oh, they're, they're not even Jewish. They're not even in the camp of Israel. Look, just a Moabite. Meh. He's not do the same justice that's due an Israelite. He's not do the same justice that's due a Jew. Look, he's not even Jewish. She's not even Jewish. So we can treat them lesser, like lesser value. You see? Who is this kid? Oh, his parents died. He's an orphan. Well, he has no rights then. He's an orphan. Who is this lady? Oh, she's a widow. Her husband died. Okay, she has no covering. So let's be done with her. You know, that. She doesn't get the rights as, you know, as we do because we're like the fullness of Israel. Look, we're awesome. That's the wrong mindset. Now, carnally speaking, you could see that and you can you can hear the judgment of a judge. You can hear the judgment of an elder. You can hear the determination of an elder and think like, wow, you know, look, he's doing right. Look, It is written to do exactly what the elder says. But when the formula is wrong in the elder, when the formula is wrong in the priest or in the judge, don't expect righteous judgment. Don't expect justice that honors the Lord. You're going to get justice, but it's going to be perverted justice. You see, just like we said before, you're female. You go to Moses and you need, you know, you, you go to Moses, a council for, for cleanliness and it's safe. It is beautiful. It is lovely. You go to one of the sons of Eli. You're even more dirty. You're even more defiled. Through Moses, there's a means by which you can be cleansed. 
through the sons of Eli, there's a means by which you're further separated from the Lord in your defilement through the counsel of the sons of Eli or through whatever the sons of Eli. I don't want to get graphic, but they were doing a lot of sex or sexual things with the females. You see? And it was perversion with the sons of Eli. But no perversion with few. Far fewer. And don't pervert. What is written here in verse 17? Stranger? Remember, provisions in the law for a Gentile to be grafted into the camp of Israel and who is afforded the same rights. And we're going to see corruption in that. Corruption against the stranger, the Gentile. Corruption against the fatherless, the orphan. Corruption against the widow. You see? Oh, she has no male covering, so let's just let's just throw her away. Let's just throw her over here. Little little pipsqueak. We'll give her a little parcel of land over here. Nothing, you know, that little nasty parcel. We'll just put her over there. No big deal. Here. Here you go. Oh, don't do that. No perversion of justice. And so we see here in verse 18, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Whoa. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Listen, you're on the receiving ends, receiving end of God's grace, mercy, and love and his forgiveness. And you were once a slave in Egypt. Now you do the same to others. You see? So a judge, an elder, a priest could remember how it was in Egypt or how it was that his grandparents or great-grandparents were treated in Egypt like they were scum and know that the Lord says, don't... Don't forget where you came from. You were treated like that. And you're going to do the same and treat this uh, 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 widow. You're going to treat the fatherless. You're going to treat the stranger like you were treated by the Egyptian. You're going to play the role of the Egyptian. Israel. You're going to play the role of the Egyptian. You see, same thing with us. Look at the things that you and me are on the receiving end from the Lord. His goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. And we're going to turn around and be jerks to another. You see, people don't realize, especially now. I mean, it was always the case, but it's, it, it's being amplified now. Especially at a time knowing that he who now restrains will be lifted out of the way. It's going to get worse. And you have Christians now that are ready to go to war. Civil war. You have Christians. They forgot Egypt. You see? That is not the way. 
And so we continue. In verse 19, When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, or a a heap in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger. You see, that addresses the stingy heart. So say you and me. So you and me are uh, 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 neighbors and we're in a rich neighborhood, in a rich neighborhood of tents. And outside of our tents, there's the big field and that's our field that we work. And we send out the workers, we send out our, our, our servants and they go work the field. They put everything in piles. And so instead of a, a field full of grain, now you see a field that's everything's chopped down, but you see certain piles. And then there are other team of servants. They go out and they collect the piles. They put it in their barrel, you know, like a wheelbarrow or they put it in bags on their back. They carry it and then they bring it back to the storehouse. Now, what if there were a couple, couple piles that were forgotten? That you and me, do we say, okay, servants, go back and get that pile. No, we just let it be. Why? Because it's for the poor. In verse 19, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, widows, it, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was bad to be a widow, But it was serious business to be a widow because with no male covering, which think of like a bank account that was given to men only. And if you're married to, I mean, if you're female, you know, to my sisters, you're married to a man and the, the bank account of your household is tied to the man. Man dies. Bank account has, doesn't have your name tied to it. You're in trouble. Financially speaking, you're in trouble. But very similar concept in the camp of Israel. Widows have serious problems, especially the fatherless or uh, the, the, uh, uh, without children. Because I mean, you could have like you know, uh, 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 the like uh, the the son who like the bank account would be for males only. So the bank dad would die, husband would die, and so you know, the bank account would be in the son's name, and so assets would transfer to the male. So if your you know your husband dies, and you know you have your adult son, the bank account goes to him, and the assets transfer to the sons, and then all of a sudden, if you're the mom, you can like you know shack up with your son, you know, like like you know. The little safety net, you know, with your through your son. But if you're barren, you can't have children, and then your husband dies, you're in big trouble. Especially if the formula is wrong. And say your parents have died. Say you're like older and your parents have died. So there's no male covering through your parents, through your dad. There's like some serious implications to that when the formula is wrong. But when the formula is right, there's provisions in the law to care for the widow. You see? The widow and the stranger and the fatherless for orphans. So that example we gave, you know, we're on the rich side of, you know, they we have our big fields and the workers, they did all this, you know, good work. They did work as unto the Lord. Everything was fine. And it came time to bring the grain to the storehouses, except they forgot two piles. Now... Carnally speaking, a mindset would be like, okay, we forgot two piles. Let's go get those piles. No, the Bible says, the Lord says, leave it alone because it's for them. Don't be stingy. 
Don't be stingy. Look at the hearts. Look at how much room there is to be stingy. But yet, in the Torah, don't be stingy. The Lord addresses the hearts. He desires hearts to be nice and soft before Him. So we look out our window. All of a sudden, we see, you know, the poor people, the orphan, the widow. You see? The Gentile. They go and they collect. They have grain. They can feed their families. They, have, they, don't, have, they don't have to. They're not. Uh, they, they don't have to go to the store to buy grain. They don't have to go to the marketplace, the grocery store, to buy groceries. They, they got it right there. Provisions from the Lord. You see. And so we see this in verse nineteen. When you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field or a heap in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, carnally speaking, you figure, well, we've got two piles. We can't have the fullness of God's blessings. But it's just the opposite. We're short two piles, yes. But instead of being a liability, it is an asset. And there's blessings of the Lord through that. You see? Carnally speaking, you might think like, well, look, we're not going to have the full amount of grain. It's going to be a liability. we got to dock this. It's going to be on the minus side. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. But that's carnally speaking. But in God's economy, when this seeming mishap, it's a blessing to others. All of a sudden, it becomes a blessing to us. You see how the law opens the door for blessings, but with ears, which are required, we enter the door, and that is called obedience. And I'm not advocating the law and saying that. I'm just saying, you know, the same thing applies as New Covenant believers. Remember, like, the ball's in your court. You know, Paul writes what he writes, ball's in our court. Peter writes what he writes, he says what he says. James, Chloe says what she said, wrote what she wrote to Paul. Ball's in his court. He responds, obedient to the Lord. Sends a message to the church in Corinth. Ball's in their court. You see, the door is open for obedience. And the Lord takes pleasure when we walk through that door of obedience. When we choose to obey. But with disobedience, oh, no big deal. Just a little white lie over here. Look, I get cheap tickets. Go to Disneyland for free. Surely it's right for me. Look, I, got, it's a, I don't have any minuses in my bank account. That's carnal thinking. You don't have any pluses either. See? And the pluses are from the Lord. God's economy. Oh, I'll go ahead and do this. Uh, so what? A couple strippers? No big deal. God will forgive me. See? Oh, what's it? So what? It's just Buddha. No big deal. I'll worship him. No big deal. It's a big deal. Little gambling over here, and if I win, I get I get pluses in my bank account. Carnally speaking, you might have pluses in your bank account. Spiritually speaking, they're big fat minuses. See, it's a different different way of thinking. Completely different way of thinking. To be spiritually minded. 
having every thought given to the captivity and the obedience of Christ. Everything that is true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report and is virtuous and praiseworthy. This is the mind of the saint. Not carnally, I'm like, okay, well, how's it going to be for my bank account? How does it affect the bottom line? How does it impact my assets? You see? But through obedience, the door is open for obedience. And when we choose to obey, all of a sudden the Lord responds to obedience. He also responds to disobedience. Not in a good way. I mean, it is a good way when you understand that you're being trained through chastisement, being taught a lesson through chastisement. But the blessings of the Lord, it's it's supernatural. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Ruth, look at Ruth. Kind of a triple whammy. Because, you know, her husband dies. She's a widow. She's a, a, a Moabite. She's fatherless, fatherless through her denial of parents. Triple whammy with Ruth. And when you read the book of Ruth, a little homework assignment. Read the book of Ruth. And when you read the book of Ruth, read slowly. And take notice of the formula in Ruth, in Naomi, and take notice of the formula. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And you know what you'll see? Well, you won't see like a priesthood. You won't see like, wow, look, they're priests. Wow, look, they're Levites. Wow, look, you won't see that. you'll see something far more beautiful. You'll see obedience. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ruth. A beautiful, beautiful. It reads in such romance. It reads in such beauty. It reads in such holiness. Because you have a widow who could have been treated like, you know, she was a Moabite. Denial of parents for the things of the Lord. She, she wanted the Lord. Naomi even told her, look, you know, go back over here. She says, no, I want, I want the Lord. And then in the course of time, Boaz tells her, stay in my field. Don't go to another field. Stay here. And then all of a sudden you see her covering come into play. And ultimately her covering was the Lord. And look at the formula. The formula in in, in, in Ruth, in, in Naomi, in Boaz. Look at the formula. You won't see a priest per se. But now in that lineage of Boaz as covering, 
and Ruth, where the formula is, the formula is so exquisitely beautiful in these two individuals. So exquisitely lovely. And through that, you have David. Through that, you have the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see? so beautiful sometimes pastors get on a high horse like oh look I'm I'm a pastor look the, by the word the, the Lord has called me to be a pastor I teach the Bible look how awesome I am and sometimes as Christians we yes there is it's true that there is a value placed in that but look at the greater value of obedience when the formula is right in the the audience, the listener, the reader, when the formula is right. You see? When Paul says, look at how he pours himself out as a drink offering to be offered on top of the the, the 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 offering of the body of the saints it's like i can't give anybody eyes <laughs> i can't give anybody ears the lord can but when you read the bible and you have eyes to see and ears to hear and you you read and you you study and you look at the formula in different people young old and you see the formula is right Put on your seatbelts. Because the Lord can do incredible things. And he does do it. And he will continue to do it. But he doesn't use, when the formula is wrong, he doesn't use those vessels. See? And when you're a Berean, you can see. You can understand but you have to be a Berean and understand what the scriptures teach. You won't see in Boaz and Ruth, you won't see a priesthood yet. You see obedience. And in their lineage, you see a royal priesthood. High priest in the order of Melchizedek. We see in verse 19 at the end. And when you have this mindset and not stingy like, oh, look, we forgot the two piles. No, leave it there. Leave it there. And we see at the end of verse 19 that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You see, you might have a little, I mean, in terms of monetary value of the grain from two piles, it might be, say it's $10,000. And now you have the the widow and the strangers and the fatherless. Now that $10,000 is a minus to our account. And it's a plus to them. And you think like, wow, look, you know, like now we're minus 10,000. But to be blessed in the future with 50,000, 100,000 as a result from that minus 10. Carnally speaking, you might think, okay, it's a minus 10. But down the road, it's a plus hundred. 
You see? Blessings of the Lord. In verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go, you shall not go over the, the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Same exact concept. It's for them. Not to be stingy, not to have a stingy heart. Remember jello. We want our hearts to be nice and soft like jello. Now notice too, they still have to work. <laughs> Remember Paul in Thessalonica? You don't work, you don't eat. They still gotta work. In verse 21, in closing, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. You see how the Lord is addressed through Moses, speaking through Moses. But he's addressing the heart. How easy it is to be stingy and be like, wow, look, the two piles over there. We got to get those piles, look, because I don't want a minus in our account. But to think different. That's not a minus in our account. It's a plus. Same thing with the oil, the olive trees. It's not a minus. It's a plus. Same thing with the grapes in verse 21. It's not a minus. It's a plus. Why? Because we're honoring the Lord and following what he says in order to care for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. In verse 22. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. You see, remember where you came from. I have so much compassion and love. You know, you hear me say from time to time, you know, I don't care if you're a stripper. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care if you did the drugs and the alcohol. I don't care about this. And sometimes people get back to me and say, look, how, how can you say that? Look, we're Christians. We're supposed to be holy. And you say you don't care. I was there. Remember where you came from. It's not to get on a high horse and be like, Oh, look, I have achieved. Now I'm going to break the bridge down so you can never reach this level. That's wickedness. Just like Moses. Moses came out of Egypt. He came out of Egypt. The Lord worked them over. And in the course of time, the Lord says, Moses, you're going back to Egypt. You see? You're not a vessel of Pharaoh. You're my vessel. And I'm going to use you. And we have to remember, the Lord rescues us from Egypt, from bondage, from sin. He works on us. And sometimes, He might just say, I'm sending you back to Egypt. Not as a servant of Egypt, but as my servant to rescue. Go and tell the people. Tell them that I love them. I really could care less. You're a stripper? I don't care. You're a prostitute? I don't care. You're a gambler? I don't care. You're a brawler? You're an alcoholic? You're drugs? I don't care. Buddha? I don't care. Mary, I don't care. That's not Christianity. You come to Christ. 
You believe in Jesus Christ. Together we grow, we mature. Of course, go and sin no more. It's not to say, oh yeah, I'm a stripper. I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm going to go back to stripping. No, you're done. Your body's a temple. A temple of the Lord, not your temple. Not a temple of Buddha, not a temple, a temple of Jesus Christ. Temple, Old Testament, New Testament needs to be clean. You're a stripper, you believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. You repent, you come to Christ, you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you commit your life to Jesus Christ and stripping's done. You see? New vocation. Same thing with drugs, drug done. Dead fish go with the flow. We have to understand, you know, sometimes Christians get on a high horse. Oh, you're a stripper. Oh, yeah, you're, 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 you're not of the elect. Maybe you were never saved or you were never saved. No, you're, 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 you're what the Bible says is predestined for hell. You're what, what the, the Calvinists and the Reformers say you're predestined for hell. That's wrong theology. That's no theology. It's just a theory. Biblical predestination is true. But predestination according to Calvinism and Reformed theory, which is just a theory, it's not biblical. How they define it. Predestination is absolutely true. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand. Actually, there's a study called uh, Biblical Predestination. Listen to that one. You'll understand. Your stripper, your, you know, drugs, alcohol, prostitute. Come to Christ. What's stopping you? I've been there. I've felt the filth. And the muck and the dirt where I can take a million showers with Brillo pads and I would still be filthy. That's called sin. But when you're washed of Jesus Christ and by him, white as snow, clean. I tell you from experience. And for the believers, that's a call to non-believers to repent and come to Christ. But to the believers, never get on a high horse. Remember where you came from. Just like verse 22. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Never get on a high horse. Have compassion. Now, not to have compassion and be foolish. Like the Episcopals and the Lutherans and the Methodists, you know, oh, we have compassion. We're going to show compassion here. We're going to show compassion. Yeah, you show compassion, but there's no truth. You see, you can't have compassion and not give Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ. Have compassion and rescue. Abide in Christ. Stand in Christ. In Christ is the only safety. The only safety outside of Christ, dead. Dangerous. In Christ is the only safety. And I want as many as I can get inside of Christ. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 25 next week to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.